0: it's the Design community radio talk show this is michael james lauren your host one of the most famous men on the planet when it comes to adhd he's the best in the business uh, dr russell barkley is uh, with us internationally recognized authority on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in children and adults who has dedicated his career to a widely disseminating science-based information about adhd And Dr. Barclay is a clinical professor of psychiatry, Virginia Treatment Center for Children and Virginia Commonwealth University Medical Center. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Michael. That was perfect. That was great. Well done, <laughs> sir. Well done. Thank you. Uh, Thank it's a pleasure you. to be. I, I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied OrLex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Orlex.com for more information. And we're for creators. I can tell you that there are many uh, parents who have boxes of Kleenex when they get the news, you know, their child has ADHD. <laughs> and then there's yes. Dr. Barclay. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, information here. And you're the best in the business and uh, so passionate. And uh, so uh, can I ask you, how did you become this passionate about ADHD?
1: Uh, well, a couple of reasons. I, I got interested in it mainly because, as an undergraduate at the University of North Carolina, I was working with a, a research psychologist, also a, a clinical psychologist, who was doing studies of this, and I simply wanted to do some volunteer work to get into graduate school, and uh, he needed a research assistant, so I became his assistant, then I became his honor student, and uh, I just so enjoyed the work that he was doing with these children and was so curious about it, and of course, along the way from then on through graduate school and internship, uh, I began to realize that this disorder was very prominent in my own family, particularly in my twin brother, but also in a number of uh, cousins and other relatives, and so that sort of opened my eyes to the personal side of things, having grown up with a brother that had a lot of learning and behavioral issues in, in school. And uh, so, you know, part of the passion for me is the curiosity, the scientific uh, inquisitiveness. I, I'm fascinated by this, this disorder uh, and what it says, not only about people with the condition, but also the rest of us. But on the other side, there's also that personal interest that it helps me to further understand and help my extended family members. So it, it's really a combination of things.
0: Wouldn't it be great if employers and wives and husbands all felt the same <laughs> when it came to oh,
1: yes. you know, like, ADHD? <laughs> I have a
0: curiosity of only my employees. You know, this is one of those, um, you know, if you will, mental disorders. You can say it because it, you know, It yes. is. And uh, it's it's so tricky, it seems, you know, because it's it's one of those things where it's not really accepted. You mentioned that in society to the point where, you know, it affects time and we all have to keep yeah. time and there's all accountability and we all have to be accountable. And uh, why is it so tricky to, to track this down?
1: Well, I think part of the reason that the public often uh, struggles with understanding and accepting ADHD is that we have a longstanding uh belief that I, I blame on the early days of psychology and psychiatry, that the uh, behavior of an individual, particularly of children, was the result of the environment. And of course, they all believed in various ways that if you re-engineered the environment, you could perfect children, perfect humanity if you if you wish to, to do so. Uh, and so we've had that instilled in us along the way for the last nearly a century uh, of uh, of belief. And, and that has crept into public understanding and discourse to the point where, you know, if a parent has a child out in public and the child is misbehaving, the knee-jerk reaction is that there's a problem with parenting, it's the parent's fault, they don't discipline, there's not enough structure, uh, and so on. And when it comes to ADHD, nothing could be further from the truth. It's a highly genetic and neurological disorder
0: these kids are smart though but what they're hearing is you're dumb you're stupid you don't pay attention you don't follow directions and it's like trying to undo all that which you know the yes. parents think that they're, they're they have somewhere the frustration has to go but unfortunately um, you know the, the kids are all like a tangled yarn trying to make sense mm-hmm. of all this and how difficult based on what you just said
1: yeah, it, it's it's very unfortunate because, you know, we're not the first disorder to experience this. Autism went through this in the 1920s to the 1960s and 70s, where it was blamed on cold, unloving mothers. We saw this with mental retardation earlier and reading disorders uh, after that, where, you know, everybody jumps on the family and explicitly the parents. And in this country, especially mothers, we do a lot of mother bashing in this country when it comes to children's problems. And, and it's unfortunate. But the kids also bear the brunt of it as well with misunderstanding and stigma, uh, because they too are blamed, as you say, as being lazy and immoral and uh, unmotivated and uh, just basically lay about ne'er-do-wells. Uh, of course, and none of this is, is true. The science rejects this, uh, I think, unequivocally. Uh, But but it is where we find ourselves. We have a public that believes one thing, and we have 50,000 research papers that demonstrate another. And so part of what I try to do is to disseminate that science out to the general public uh, in hopes of convincing people that it's a lot more complicated than they think.
0: And you're big on lemonade, too, I understand, and sports drinks for <laughs> for people who, you know, say, hey, if you have a ADHD, you know, and a good idea to have some lemonade and get the glucose going and, and exercise, yeah. people don't... Uh, you realize that, uh, that that gives them a bit of an edge. And also that you mentioned that like time just stands still for someone yes. with, uh, yeah. with ADHD. It and these does. are, all, you know, the society runs on that as far as can you, how responsive can you be? If I give you information or directive, how can you work with that? And then you say that the short-term memory is shot, basically. Yeah. And so what, what a disadvantage.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot going on here. So let me just briefly explain for the audience that's not particularly well informed about ADHD is that you're, we're really dealing with two different levels of developmental problems here uh, in the individual's behavior and brain functioning. Uh, the most obvious and superficial level uh, is their behavior and uh, the way we see them on a day-to-day basis, and that's where we get into the 18 symptoms of ADHD, half of which deal with inattentive, distractible behavior. They can't persist for very long. They're very forgetful. The other half is their hyperactive and impulsive behavior. They're very disinhibited. Uh, They react very quickly to things. Uh, So uh, obviously, they also have trouble with their emotions as well, controlling them. So I look at that and I say, okay, that's the surface features of ADHD by which you could spot somebody who might have the disorder. But under the hood, under the surface, there is a problem with seven different executive functions, as we call them. These are mental abilities predominantly housed in the front part of the brain. But throughout multiple brain networks, these seven mental abilities allow us to control ourselves uh, and allow us to grow up to become independent Self regulating individuals, and all of them to varying degrees are deficient in ADHD. They're delayed, which is why we call ADHD a neurodevelopmental disorder. The evidence for the involvement of neurology and genetics is overwhelming in this disorder, and so it's right that we think of it as we think of autism uh, and uh, intellectual disability as largely driven by neurological and, and genetic difficulties, not by learning and behavior and parenting and, and just uh, a life choice. Uh, so the, very quickly, the seven abilities I'm referring to here are, number one, inhibition, the ability to restrain yourself uh, and to think about what you're doing. Uh, number two is self-awareness. Do you monitor yourself in order to inhibit your behavior if you're becoming inappropriate or off task? Uh, number three is what we call working memory, holding in mind what you're supposed to be doing and using that information to guide yourself over time to accomplish your goals, assignments, tasks, promises, and so on. And there's two kinds of working memory. There's nonverbal, which is visual imagery. Holding images in mind, like a GPS guides you over time to get to your destination. We use imagery in our brain to guide us as well. And then there's language. There's verbal working memory where we talk to ourselves and write notes to ourselves and ver- variously engage in, in self-instruction. So you know, those constitute the third and fourth. Uh, the fifth is the ability to manage your emotions so that you can um, make them consistent with your goals. What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, obviously, if your employer says something that's upsetting to you, uh, if you're impulsive, you grab them by the lapels and you tell them <laughs> off, and you're fired. Uh, so we expect Happy. you to restrain yourself and inhibit your emotions, so that they're more consistent with keeping your job and earning an income and supporting your family and and so on. Uh, the next one is self-motivation. People with ADHD have a lot of trouble when the situation or the task they're doing doesn't involve a lot of reward, interest, or reinforcement. So they can't sustain their behavior themselves. They need some kind of external consequences and accountability and motivation. And finally, there's the planning and the problem solving, which is the ability to manipulate information in your mind in order to come up with new ways of getting things done, ways of overcoming obstacles, uh, of trying to solve problems based on your past learning. But all of this is going on in your mind. So by the time you're a young adult you have these seven mind tools very much like a swiss army knife that you use in combination to regulate yourself over time to to accomplish your goals and and all of them as i said to varying degrees are are failing so you can see adhd is a very complex disorder of brain functioning uh, in in individuals which is why it's it's so impairing in major life activities one of the most impairing disorders we treat on an outpatient basis
0: and you have that book which is you've written many and uh, i would go to amazon or your website uh, for sure to get dr Barkley's books one when an adult you love has adhd professional advice for parents partners and siblings of course the other one executive functions we'll talk about that what they are how they work and why they evolved and um so given what you said, I mean, can you imagine having the, the confidence you have to ask a, a woman to marry you based on, <laughs> on all these things or just to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to convince someone to be your spouse or how about an employer to say, you know, yeah. uh, they say, oh, there are all these things today. You just tell them they'll make accommodations. I don't think employers want to hear that so much. You no, know, by the no. way, I have yeah. these issues. Would you like to hire me?
1: Yeah, you don't want to be upfront about that, I think, at least not right away until you find out how uh, sympathetic they are to the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act and making accommodations for, uh, you know, developmentally disabled individuals. But we tell adults... uh, Not to self-disclose too much at the beginning, uh, but then over time, uh, you may be able to access through the human resources department or uh, your supervisor or others, you know, getting some accommodations so that you can be your best uh, in the workplace. But, But don't do that right away because... Uh, The employer probably struggles with the same misconceptions as the public does about ADHD, and and I wouldn't want to be triggering any kind of blowback from them uh, too quickly. On the other hand, if we're dealing with children and and teens, uh, then we want early diagnosis because we can get access to special educational services and entitlements and protections for the child in school uh, that come along with, with that diagnosis. but uh, And the same applies to college. It's okay to disclose in the university environment. They're required to make accommodations for learning disorders, ADHD, language problems, and so on. Uh, but then when you move into the workplace, I think you have to be a little bit more measured and thoughtful about yes who you tell and when you tell them.
0: Well, that's important for sure, because uh, people, could, <laughs> people don't care a lot of times, you know. No, uh, it's, no. it's true because they want someone to follow directions and, and do all that. But um, can I ask you, with all the research you've sure. done through the years, can it, how have what more have you learned? I mean, is it something where it stays the same or are there always developments? And what would you say some of the things you've learned uh, over the decades that have changed?
1: Well, that's a great question because not only have there been a number of longitudinal studies, but uh, I've also done one. I followed, uh, along with Mary Ellen Fisher out in Milwaukee, a large group of ADHD children for 25 years into their young adulthood. And we've seen them every five years and evaluated them thoroughly. And uh, so, you know, I've seen this personally, not just read it in in our follow-up studies. And it's, it's fascinating to see that as these children grow up and as they move into new situations, we discover new domains of impairment that they they didn't have before. So for instance, we all know that ADHD children struggle to get along with other children, have difficulties in their peer relationships, have a lot of family conflict because of their unregulated behavior. And then as they move into school, of course, they really struggle to meet the demands of the educational system. So all of that's been well understood for several hundred years now. But what's more recent since the 1990s from these follow-up studies is as we move into adolescence, they have much more difficulties with driving, with risky sexual activity, with managing their money once they start to earn money from their part-time jobs. Uh, They begin to subset drift into difficulties with uh, nicotine use and excess alcohol use and marijuana use, and uh, about 25 to 35% begin to move into antisocial behavior like lying and stealing and aggressive behavior. So uh, notice that as they become more independent, as new domains like sexuality and driving and money and work and so on become available, they begin to manifest new areas of impairment that they didn't have when they were children so it's it's an odd disorder in that although the disorder is improving somewhat with age it's also becoming more impairing with age because we expect you to have more self-control when you're a teen than when you're a five-year-old and when you're in your 20s than when you're a teen so that it's the increasing demands that you regulate yourself that cause them so much difficulty because we demand much more of them as, as they get older, and they just can't measure up as, as well as other people. So hmm. that's when we start to see all of these areas of, of impairment. Um, many people don't know, for instance, that ADHD is one of the worst disorders you can have in drive a motor vehicle, and that at least 80% of them should be on medication when they're driving <laughs> because of their high risk for crashes and speeding tickets. And many patients uh, uh, of mine have become involved in accidents where they've injured people, killed hmm. people. They um, injured themselves. My, my own twin brother with ADHD died in a car accident, mm-hmm. secondary to his distracted and impulsive and risk-taking behavior. So, you know, it's, um, it's a life-threatening disorder in certain circumstances. For instance, our studies have shown that ADHD children are twice as likely to die before they become teenagers. And as adults, they're five times more likely to die by the time they're 40 as a result of accidental injuries, uh, possibly suicide. But uh, usually it's the result of uh, risk taking and, and accidents. So they're very prone to injury and to early mortality. And then just last week, we published the first study showing that even if they make it through midlife, they're going to have a shorter life expectancy by about nine to 13 years, depending on severity of their disorder. Uh, Because of all of this risk-taking and uh, substance use and difficulties with nutrition and eating and obesity and so on. I mean, this disorder just racks up its toll o- over time to uh, result in, if you don't treat it, mm-hmm. having a shorter life expectancy. Now, all of that is treatable. Uh, that is reversible, but you've, you've got to get assistance for the disorder. And you know, perhaps we should talk about that because there's a number of things that people can do To manage ADHD appropriately, uh, but they have to know that, and they have to go and get that intervention
0: for sure. We definitely want to talk about that because people, you know, hey, (laughs) if you have dyslexia, you know, you're found out that you can't spell, and then ADHD, there's maybe 20 other kind of things that you'll be found out. You could be working some job, and all of a sudden, someone who gives you a a directive or or instruction, and that that look in their face, like you're not getting this, are you? That's right. That's right.
1: Terrible. And so it gets revealed perhaps uh, perhaps later in life. But well, well, Michael, there are five things that we I- insist be implemented to create the most effective treatment package for children and adults with ADHD. And th- that's not to say that all five are always available wherever you live. If you live in very rural areas, you may not be able to access all of these, but uh, but we we strive to get as many of these components in place. Uh, to manage it. And and that's because we think of ADHD the way we think of diabetes. In fact, I, I routinely call ADHD the diabetes of psychiatry, because that analogy makes people stop and think about it's a disorder that has to be managed every day, and it requires multiple interventions brought to bear to control the symptoms. And by controlling the symptoms, you can prevent all of these other secondary harms from occurring. But if you don't manage those symptoms, then you are exposing yourself to lots and lots of risk down the road, just like a diabetic does if they don't manage their diabetes. So let's quickly go through those yeah. five components. N- number one, you need to get a thorough and appropriate evaluation to not only document your ADHD, but 80% of people with ADHD have a second disorder and we're going to need to identify that and manage it appropriately. The most common is learning disabilities. Uh, Second most common is problems with anger control. In children, that's more oppositional and defiant behavior. In adults, it's a lot more frustration tolerance or intolerance and being very quick to become impatient and to become uh, sort of hostile very reactively when, when you're frustrated. So Um, we want you to understand not only your ADHD, but we need to know whether there's another disorder along with it and be able to manage that as well. Now, our second component is that you need to educate yourself about the science of ADHD. And uh, you've been very kind to mention my books, Taking Charge of ADHD is for Parents. There's also Taking Charge of Adult ADHD. And then the one you mentioned, which is When Someone You Love Has Adult ADHD. These are all books that contain a lot of information. You can also go to chad.org, that's C-H-A-D-D.org, the National Association for Children and Adults with ADHD. There's also add.org. These are very good websites with lots of information. Universities have posted a lot of my lectures on ADHD over on YouTube. I strongly encourage people to go there because they're often more likely to watch a video than read a book. So there's a lot of content over there as well. Um, I have a a free website, ADHDlectures.com, with 35 hours of lectures there that people can access for free. So there's plenty of information out there. Educate yourself. Truth is an assembled Mm. thing, as the novelist David Lindsay once said. So you need to get as much information, pull it together, and understand your disorder in order to manage it. Now, component number three is medication. Seventy to eighty percent of ADHD individuals have a severe enough disorder that we're going to have to have medication combined with the other interventions. Can I stop you right there for just a second? Yeah, can, you bet, can, Mike. Well, yeah, no, I, I was just,
0: just. going to. No, you're fine. You're fine. Trust me, this is all good. I just wanted to butt in and just ask you. Uh, while you talk about medication, do people call you out on that and say, you know, today's you talk about the New York Times being somewhat against uh, so much medication and so forth, but do people say, you know, can you use natural supplements? so are there any that, that mimic what, uh, you know, Medicaid or is it just you need stronger stuff?
1: Well, it's a very good question because two thirds of parents of ADHD children try alternative uh, remedies, uh, health food remedies, uh, supplements, vitamins, uh, ginkgo, uh, omega three six, and all of the other things that are out there. They'll go to that first before they even go to their uh, their pediatrician, uh, which is unfortunate because just because something has the word natural on it doesn't mean it even contains the substance it's supposed to contain. You know, mm-hmm. there's no regulation. Uh, of these these uh, food supplements, so unfortunately, none of them work. We have found nothing within that venue that is uh, helpful for ADHD, uh, and um, and certainly nothing that comes close to what the. Uh, FDA-approved medications can do. So while I understand the natural uh, inclination of parents to not want to turn to medication right away unless they have to, uh, that to me is like a diabetic saying, I'm not going to go on insulin. I'm just going to try to deal with this on my own. Uh, And as we know, especially for type 1 diabetes, that is a big mistake. So um, you need to view it like diabetes. Look at these medications as your friend. They're the safest medicines in psychiatry. I would not hesitate to put my children on them. I've certainly recommended them to my family members as well, but not alone. They need to be done in the context of these other Components, but when you use them that way, uh, over 75% of people are markedly improved from the medicine. 90% of them find some degree of improvement. Only about 10% don't respond to them. Uh, so, it, you know, they're 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 good. They're helpful, but they're not a cure all. They're not antibiotics. They don't get rid of the disorder. They are like insulin. They manage the disorder on the day you take it. The day you stop game over. You're right back to having mm-hmm. your your disorder again. So you're going to need to take them as long as you're experiencing impairment from your disorder. If you get into a situation where you're not very impaired, maybe you graduate high school, you go into the military, the structure in the military helps you out. Maybe you become an entrepreneur uh, and you can set your own hours because you're self-employed. You know, that might be situations where you might not need as much medication or where you don't need any. But on the other hand, most people don't have the benefit of working in highly structured environments or setting their own work schedule. So they're going to need some assistance from the medication. Now, I mean, there are all these the,
0: cues that we rely on. I mean, cues where people yeah. can uh, function normally, and it seems like <laughs> like all the neurons are getting the message, and then you get the person with ADHD and somehow they're, they're fishing around for...
1: It, it's not working. no it's not working. And, we, and we know that. We've got hundreds of neuroimaging studies that show the areas of the brain that are smaller, they're delayed in development by two to three years. The connections um, among these brain areas and the way they function are very poor, very erratic and inconsistent. Uh, so that's well-established. That's, uh, that's just something that's without, uh, without question now. So that's why we now call it a neurodevelopmental disorder. But, you know, the other two things that have to be done, because I don't want to just, uh, you know, carp about the medication as useful as these medicines are, you, you still have to do behavior modification. Parents need to read more about Uh, good evidence-based behavior management training. There's a number of books on it. My books talk about it. There are many others. Uh, There are courses that you can take for child behavior management training that are very helpful. These aren't going to cure your child. They're going to help you manage the stress of raising a handicapped child uh, and allow your child to be more effective and better adjusted than they otherwise would be. But they're not going to get rid of the disorder. They're going to help with managing conflict. Uh, And then, of course, adults can take advantage of cognitive behavioral therapy and ADHD coaching in order to help them learn to monitor and manage their own behavior better. Uh, And then finally, there's what we call accommodations, learning to alter the environment around you so that you're less impaired from your disorder. A very good example in school is to cut the work down into smaller quotas Uh, instead of 30 problems, do five at a time, take a two-minute break, do another five, two minutes. Mm -hmm. All during that, you're sprinkling, you know, tokens and rewards for the child. In the case of adults, it might be working as a team, uh, making yourself accountable to your supervisor much more frequently during the day for the goals that you set, using a lot of sticky notes, uh, making sure that you've blocked your computer so you can't go out on the internet and access social media. There's a variety of software programs that will do that for you and time you out from accessing these websites. Now, this is what I mean by learning to alter your environment so you're not as disabled from your disorder as Mm. you might might otherwise be. So, So to reiterate, the five components are diagnosis, get educated, use medication when you need to, use behavior modification uh, when it's available to you, and then make these accommodations. There's more than 80 such accommodations mentioned in my books that families and adults with ADHD can, can take advantage of. But you put that all together, you're going to do a very good job controlling this disorder and ensuring that you can be as effective and successful as you are likely to be.
0: Yeah. And Dr. Barkley has a ton of books and you should check them out with the two that I have right here. I can recommend because I have in front of me when an adult you love has ADHD, professional advice for parents, partners and siblings, also executive functions, what they are, how they work and why they evolve. Because you mentioned that this is an executive function disorder where, you know, we all it's not. You mentioned what you know. You know a lot. You know you're not stupid. You say to That's people. Right. No,
1: no, they're not. Just as a as an aside, uh, that last book on executive functioning is really a scholarly textbook. So I, I don't recommend that as a, as a trade book. The two trade books, besides the one you mentioned on loved ones, is the Taking Charge series. Uh, the taking charge of ADHD for parents, uh, and then the taking charge of adult ADHD. That's where you're going to learn more about what to do and how to understand. And, and, And as I say in the books, ADHD is not a problem with knowing what to do. These people are not stupid. They know what everybody else knows. It's a problem with doing what you know, with carrying out the plans that you have and following through on the rules and commitments and work that you've been given, that's really where the the action is. And that's hard for people to understand. But the front part of your brain is where we take what we know and we apply it in our daily life. And ADHD is kind of you know cleaving or separating that part of the brain from the rest of the brain. So it really doesn't matter what you know, you're going to struggle to implement all the things you know to, to be as effective as you can be. But it can be done with professional assistance in these five components. Uh, I think people can lead uh, extraordinary lives. I mean, look at Adam Levine. He's a classic adult with ADHD yes. who uses medication, who's been very successful not only in music but on television. You've got Ty Pennington. You've got people like uh, uh, Bubba Watson. Uh, and of course, in uh, the uh, other media, would be. Uh, Uh, not in the media, but in entrepreneurship would be Richard Branson. Uh, I mean, and then there are athletes, uh, you know, uh, Simone uh, uh, Bowles is also ADHD. I mean, just Google ADHD success stories and you will see a number of people that can serve as exemplars and role models uh, for how you can be successful and still grow up with ADHD. Probably the poster child for such success is Michael Phelps, the, you know, all-time gold medalist in in, in swimming. Uh, Michael is, you know, very ADHD, but uh, still become a roaring success uh, through finding non-traditional pathways like Adam and Richard and the others. You know, non-traditional pathways to success seem to be the more likely route to succeeding for people with ADHD than the more traditional, you know, advanced education sort of professional routes tend to be.
0: You know everyone has like a famous line that they're known for and so I was watching you on these uh, conferences on YouTube and uh, you know some authors like to romanticize about uh, ADHD saying it's a gift and all that and your famous line and I mean it was right to the point you said a lot of people think that Michael Phelps won eight Olympic gold medals because of his ADHD said ladies and gentlemen ADHD is no gift and the way you said it I mean that was I that was so well could you say that again (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, what I want to point out is, you know, Michael is a very talented individual, uh, but he would have been talented with or without ADHD. He comes from a family of uh, talented athletes. His father was a professional football player before he became a policeman. Uh, His, uh, you know, mother was a, uh, she was a vice principal, so she was able to bring to bear a lot of services for Michael and keep him very well scheduled right down to every 15 minutes. He had b- almost no free time, but both of his sisters were Olympic qualifying swimmers as well. So, you know, Michael has, he has a lot of talent and aptitude, none of which has anything to do with ADHD. Uh, but it, it, so you're still the No
0: gift, right? The way you say the that. ADHD
1: no gift. It doesn't. It doesn't make you a gifted swimmer or a gifted entrepreneur or a golfer or a musician uh, or an artist or a poet. Those gifts come uh, because of uh, you know your family and uh, your background and your own talents. But uh, ADHD doesn't have to interfere with maximizing those talents and and becoming a success. But you'll notice with Michael or with Ty or uh, the other people I've mentioned. When they get out of the pool, when they move into other areas of life that are more mundane, uh, they get into trouble. You know, Mm -hmm. Ty Pennington and Michael have had a number of DUIs where they've, you know, had to perform community service. And uh, you had uh, Richard Branson was uh, briefly uh, imprisoned for pirating the Beatles music back when he- I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. His parents had to second mortgage his house, their house, to, uh, you know, bail him out and send him over to uh, New Mm -hmm. England. Uh, to a private school where his principal basically said you're either going to be in jail or you're going to be uh you know very wealthy by the time you're you know an adult and of course it turned out to be the latter fortunately but you know all of this information is out on the internet and based on interviews with these people and their their parents and and others so i you know i'm not just you know blowing smoke here and making this up Um, but there's a, there's a formula for success that's in my loved one's book that I want to emphasize. Number one, identify your child's gifts and aptitudes. Number two, look around for resources in your community that will promote and enhance those aptitudes. Just like the Baltimore swim club was there for Michael when he was a teen and young adult. Uh, look for those resources. Number three, you need loved ones who support you unconditionally, no matter what Happens, And they are in your corner backing you up and helping you. They are your safety net. Uh, and those loved ones really deserve a great deal of credit mm-hmm. behind all of these success stories, Michael Phelps in particular. Uh, and he acknowledges that every time he wins, he thanks his family for being there for him. Uh, I think, you know, number Number five, as part, or number four, rather, as part of the equation, uh, is that you've got to uh, acknowledge and own your disorder. This is no one else's disorder but your own. Adam Levine has a great video on the internet called Own It, which he developed along with Shire Pharmaceuticals to convince people to, uh, you, you've got to take this on as yours. Like a diabetic has to own it. You've got to own this. It's not your mother. It's not your father. It's not your teacher's problem. It's your problem to manage, your cross to bear. Uh, and that is part of the formula for success. You put those four things together, uh, and I think you will find that people have a chance to be uh, the best that they can be.
0: Dr. Barkley, um, can I ask you, do, do um, clinicians or psychiatrists and researchers, where does it become different? I mean, when, if everyone was to sit around a table, where does it get contentious in some of the conversations? I mean, does, do we all... Agree or do we where do we agree to disagree?
1: Well there's no there's no disagreement on the existence and validity of the disorder. You're only going to hear that from fringe political groups like Scientology or Citizens Commission on Human Rights or people with a political axe to grind. I mean the science is very clear here. Uh, I mean, like I said, there's more than 50,000 papers that have been published over 220 years since the first medical paper on ADHD was published. So, you know, this is this is not some Johnny come lately to the scene, even if it is for the public. Uh, So I, I think where it gets a little controversial and remember, science is controversial. That's what makes it healthy. Uh, You know, all of our knowledge is provisional and we like to try to improve upon it. You know, for instance, to what degree are each of the executive functions involved in ADHD? There's a little bit of controversy about that uh, and whether everybody has the same uh, degree of impairment in these, these executive functions. So we're still debating that. Uh, when it comes to the brain, for instance, we know it's in the brain. We know it's a delay. We know these areas are smaller. They're not well connected. But down to the level of neurons and cells and what's going on at the neurochemical level of, of these neurons, we still need to understand that more thoroughly. And I think genetics is going to help us there because it's a highly genetic disorder. That's another area where there remains uh, a great deal of uncertainty. It's it's a highly inherited Disorder. That is without question. But how many genes? Where are they? Uh, just two weeks ago, we had the first genome wide scan of the entire human genome and ADHD, finding that there are at least 12 different genetic sites in our DNA uh, at a minimum that are contributing to this disorder. And so now we need to discover what those genes are, how they work in the brain, what does that mean for brain growth and development? So we, there's a lot to learn there uh, as well. I think when it comes to interventions, you know, hopefully finding earlier interventions that can have more lasting effects than what we have now uh, is something we're struggling to find, uh, it, just like you would in diabetes. Can we find something that can earlier correct uh, the problem and correct it more permanently than just you know giving lifelong insulin to individuals and watching their diet and and yes. so on? So you know we struggle in that area with coming up with new treatments and, and interventions for ADHD as well. So you know there there's plenty of controversy, plenty of questions in the scientific area that. Uh, that will keep this field going for quite a long time. as a very vital uh, field of, of discovery. But uh, certainly the existence of the disorder uh, is without doubt.
0: See, now what you do best, and you're the world's leader in this, I mean, truth be told, it, you break down, this is scientific information we're talking about, and you break it down so that we can all understand it in your books. And, and, uh, but, you know, uh, a lot of times this society is desensitized. You're saying it's a crunch. I mean, people don't look at the site. They say, oh, everybody says that. Everyone's over medicated. Everyone says that uh, they have ADHD. It's it's not like the doctor where you go to the doctor, my eye hurts when I do that. Just don't do that. It's not like
1: that's right. I know. I'm laughing because Bob Newhart actually has a comedy routine on YouTube called "Stop It," in which he basically—that's the advice he winds up giving people for a thousand dollars—to help them deal with their their behavioral and emotional problems. But so uh, you can look that up if you want a good laugh. But uh, but this is this is serious. Uh, I think we, we find, as I said, the public has a disconnect between uh, the science and and what they think about ADHD, and it's unfortunate. First of all, what you said—that uh, the public believes. We we do not over-medicate this disorder. Uh, we are not using medication beyond the prevalence rates for ADHD in the population. So so that's a gross misconception, nor are we over-diagnosing it. We, we do, uh, a better job with children. We're identifying about 70% of all cases within communities, maybe 80% uh, these days are appropriately identified and and being treated. So that's good news. Uh, Much less in adolescents, we need to do a better job there. Uh, In adults, uh, you're looking at only 10 to 20% of adults with ADHD are ever properly diagnosed and treated. So it's really in the adult area where we got a long way to go in public mental health in, uh, in getting people to recognize they have the condition and go Going in and getting more appropriate services for it, because yes. it is a disorder that's highly responsive to, to the treatments that we have. But I, I understand the public's view that, you know, we just continue to create more and more excuses and more and more crutches for people's uh, feelings. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that that's not true in, in some areas, but on the other hand, uh, when it comes to ADHD, that is simply not true. Uh, this is a legitimate disorder of neurological functioning. Uh, and to view it as simply a life choice or something, a moral failing that the person could change tomorrow is to do a great injustice to these people.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, how frustrating to know all, the, to be smart and to know things, but just know, not knowing what to do about it, you know, how to apply yes. it. And that seems yes, like that's where, what a terrible disadvantage. I mean, that's like having a ball in your hand and you know exactly how to yes. throw at the first base, but you don't know how to you don't know how to throw it like
1: yeah it's very demoralizing i mean it's not a surprise that you know they are three to four times more likely to attempt uh, attempt suicide and even to complete suicide uh, by the time they're late teens and in their early 20s than other people Uh, and a lot of it has to do with this failure of acceptance and understanding and you know they lead a life that's just riddled or, or checkered with uh, you know, uh, failing to live up to what other people expect them to do and getting no sympathy or support along the way. And, you know, eventually people just finally decide to check out, unfortunately. So, yeah. uh, and we want to, we want to reduce that. that. That's not necessary. There, there's a lot of help out there for people with ADHD, but it would be, I think, nice if the public viewed ADHD the way we viewed autism now. Uh, nobody blames mothers for autism anymore. At least they shouldn't. And if they do, they're ignorant. Uh, and, and we shouldn't be blaming the environment or people or parents for, for ADHD. We should be offering a helping hand.
0: Dr. Bartley, sometimes it seems like people luck out, though, and they get the good type of ADHD where they can multitask and they can take care of all these. Is that, is that ADHD? I mean, where it seems like sometimes they get a good kind. Is there such a thing as that?
1: I I don't think so, but I I think instead, if I can rephrase that, is there are certain tasks and situations in which the ADHD individual may not be impaired at all uh, in a crisis. Uh, You know, when, uh, you know, everybody else is flailing around, uh, they may be able to focus because they're very sensation seeking, risk taking individuals who are able to. You know, act very quickly and decisively on information, sometimes too impulsively, I think. Um, but, you know, if you're a doctor, the best place for you with ADHD is to be in the emergency room. If you're uh, a uh, somebody who, who wants to work in medicine but doesn't want to be a doctor, you know, be an EMT. Uh, you know, work as a nurse, become a policeman, work in the fire department. Uh, you know these are all areas where um you know you don't have to sit still for eight to twelve hours a day. you get to move around and do different things and engage things and and engage you know in in crises when they develop uh and they're not impaired in those situations as much as they are in more routine boring tedious you know work filled situations uh they they do make better entrepreneurs uh because of their Uh, they are the extent to which they can multitask. And uh, to some extent, they're a little bit more creative in certain ways than other people, uh, because they're not so inhibited. Uh, Again, it's not a gift, but it might not get in the way of entrepreneurship the way it does working for a large corporation uh, would be. So, you know, there are various pathways that you can pursue that are Mm -hmm. non-traditional, that allow you to succeed. So uh, I don't think that that's a there's no good type of ADHD. There are good places for ADHD. Yes. There are ADHD friendly occupations and and again if you google that term, you'll start to see some of them. I've mentioned a few already besides being an entrepreneur, you know, look at being a videographer, look at the culinary arts. Uh, Look to the military. Look to the police and fire department work. uh, Look to the trades. You know, you're going to make more money as a carpenter and a plumber than you're going to do with a college degree. So you might want to be looking at trade school rather than just a general liberal arts college, Mm. uh, especially if you're not interested, uh, you know, in uh, just basic uh, liberal arts and sciences. You know, there's there's lots of ways to succeed in society other than uh, the one where we emphasize advanced education. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can have fun doing it as well. And again, I, you know, I point out people like Adam Levine and others uh, who are just tremendous successes uh, in their life uh, and have found alternative ways to achieve that. You ever feel like a
0: career guidance counselor? I mean, you're this acclaimed <laughs> yes. researcher, and, uh, and yeah. I can only imagine how you're Cell phone probably blows up or your emails where, you know, and you get some wealthy donors, wealthy people that say, look, we're going to put you on with Dr. Barkley. okay? tell Dr. Barkley what's going on. And, you know, you tell Dr. Barkley, he'll fix everything. I mean, it's it must be you must be busy. I mean, I wouldn't want to have your you, you have like thousands of emails every day.
1: Yeah, well, but you know, one of the things I took on when I came into my profession, uh, and it's what actually inspired me to go into to the sciences and psychology specifically, but science more generally, uh, is I was inspired by scientists who disseminated the science to the public, people like Carl Sagan, Richard Dawkins, Richard Bronowski, and, and others who left the ivory tower, and and instead of looking down on people who popularized science, uh, you know, uh, like Neil deGrasse Tyson does and others, they instead left the, the scientific lab and said, look, you know, the public needs to know what we know in order to benefit from this information. And one of the hallmarks of my career that I'm very proud of is... Uh, Making the, the extra effort and taking that extra mile to disseminate the information. Don't just publish research papers. You know, I published several hundred. So what? That doesn't benefit anybody but the 20 people who read the journal. <laughs> you know, in, instead, write the trade books, do the lectures, give parent speeches, get out on the internet, go to YouTube, uh, get that science out there to the public that pays your salary and supports your research grants. And if you don't do that, then you know, you really have wasted your science.
0: Well, that's such a good point. I mean, your books are very popular. Is once again, I want to tell everybody about again the Take Charge series. Certainly, taking charge of adult ADHD, and um, there's more as well. People can go to your website, RussellBarkley.org or Amazon, if that's okay. Right, we could send them there.
1: Sure. Anywhere. Yeah, fine. Well, so (laughs) is there
0: anything else that you wanted to say about the subject so far? I mean, we're kind of at the end, but anything that you could think of?
1: Well, you know, I, I think to me at the end of the day, I would really like the public to accept ADHD the way we accept autism, bipolar disorder, intellectual disability, learning disability. It's a neurodevelopmental disorder. It's not the person's fault. It's not a bad environment. It's something the individual is going to struggle with and and could benefit with your assistance. You know, as Ned Halliwell put it brilliantly in in one of his books, looking at ADHD as a neurodevelopmental disorder, as a science-based disorder, is to remove it from the domain of moral judgment and disparaging people with it into the domain of science and compassion and that's really at the end of the day what i hope for people with adhd that we understand be compassionate lend a helping hand uh, and try to help them be as effective as they can be well first of all do you have adhd Uh, I do not, but it is in my family. Uh, And because the ADHD is a family phenotype, just like autism, uh, other members of the family have little bits and pieces of ADHD. For instance, I'm, you know, very talkative and I think of myself as decisive. Some people would say a little impulsive, but uh, you know, it's, uh, there are elements of that. If you look at across my family, but none of us Uh, that I've mentioned necessarily would rise to the full level of disorder. On the other hand, I do have a few relatives, my fraternal twin brother Ron uh, included, uh, who did have full-fledged impairing ADHD that eventually wound up shortening his life uh, because of his risk-taking behavior, and uh, one of his three children with ADHD also uh, committed suicide at age 30, uh-huh. so we lost uh, Ethan as well. So, you know, I, I know the the heartbreak uh, and the tragedies that ADHD can bring if it's not properly, uh, you know, treated. Yes. So uh, while I don't have the clinical level of the disorder, I do have family members uh, that have been deeply affected by it. And, and that is what, to some extent, motivates my desire to... Uh, disseminate uh, ADHD are, knowledge. Indeed.
0: Oh, it's wonderful to watch you on YouTube. And I recommend anybody go to YouTube and check out Russell and Dr. Russell Barclay, B-A-R-K-L-E-Y, And, uh, and check out a lot of the, the conferences that you've given. And, uh, you know, I have ADHD. My wife says, why do you talk so loud all the time? I said, because I've ADHD. It doesn't, she doesn't seem any more compassion? I say that I've ADHD. Yeah. But boy, I'll tell you something. You know, I've been, i talked to other people who have it and I'm like, man, they it, something there's that they I don't know what that is I know we don't have time for it probably but why someone talks so loud and it, it works for radio not in real life
1: Yeah, yeah no that that's true I mean uh, look at Glenn Beck a classic ADHD individual as well <laughs> uh, the disorder does make us more talkative that's for sure uh, and it does make us more emotional and I think that's where the volume comes from uh, it, it's the emotion behind the speaking that generates the volume hmm. uh, so. Uh, you know obviously, you have a passion for what you do, I do as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I've been accused of being very loud and people with ADHD often get more hoarse and have more vocal nord- nodes than other people do. <laughs> I did as a child, even though I don't have ADHD, I do have the talkativeness and the loud voice that goes along with it. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it's part of our family phenotype. It's part of the iceberg, the genetic iceberg in the family, as I call so it. Much so much
0: information that you've covered in your lifetime. So much. Uh, I mean, really, thank you thank for you. everything that you've done because... Yeah you've done a, a great service to people who um you know I can imagine husbands wives parents children and uh, and and yeah and plus they you know begin to I'm sure you get plenty of letters too uh, because a lot of the stuff that you mentioned is about how to prevent it or, or deal with it. And so it must be very rewarding. And here's my last question. If you had to choose, you know how they have like shock treatment type of experiments for certain things? So I know it's kind of tongue in cheek here, but if you had to develop something, you know, maybe you'll go down and say, know, it's like the Barclay test, the Barclay test, but uh, not shock treatment, but what kind of tests have you ever thought up, you know, when you're daydreaming, if you will, or just, uh, you know, coming up with some creative ideas that you would recommend if you could do a series of tests outside the norm to help people with ADHD?
1: Uh, For me, I think the greatest uh, payoff is going to be in the area of genetic testing. Uh, It's cheap. It's easy. You can do it through Ancestry and others, not for ADHD. We're not there yet, but uh, at some point, hopefully within my lifetime, uh, we will have cheap genetic testing that will help us not only diagnose, but subtype and uh, help determine the most appropriate treatments to use, including medications. Uh, And that, to me, would be uh, a watershed moment for for ADHD. We're not quite there yet, but Mm -hmm. we're going to get there.
0: Yeah, and I'm hoping Apple could come out with some sort of app for that, or some sort of, like on the Apple Watch. It'll just shock you. Yeah. A little. I don't know who knows, but
1: <laughs> but uh, give many ideas
0: <laughs> a world of research made uh, plausible to all of us from Dr. Barkley and get his books. By the way, and when you go to his website, org, you'll see that he is an internationally recognized authority on attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Thank you for everything you've done, and thanks for being on the program.
1: Thanks so much, Michael. I appreciate you having me. You take care now. Our
0: sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied OrLex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Auralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Orlex.com for more information.